Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. John Hood is with us this week. He's been with us a number of times through the years, and usually he has a word. Uh, John's vocabulary is, uh, uh, I guess, extensive is the best word that I can use. And uh, and I, I must say, he is very proud of his vocabulary. And so I usually give him the chance to spring a new word on me, um, and uh, so I'm going to give you that chance right now, John. What's the, the new word of the day that I should know that you do know? Well, Tom, or, uh, Don, we're not usually recording this show in this format. And so I'm a little thrown off by it. It's, it's maybe a little catawampus. Catawampus, okay. And so I'm, I'm not sure that I can really deliver on that vocabulary word that you usually ask for me, but... You know, maybe next time I won't be catawampus. And uh, okay, so now give me a definition of catawampus. Um, a skew, off balance, a little off track. Oh well, uh, I'm some be- people I- think that it's related to a legendary creature called the wampus cat. Okay, uh, that that lives in the mountains. Um, well, I just think it's a fun, fun word, catawampus. There are a number of people who would say that I was catawampus, so we'll we'll let it go with that. Okay, uh, we. Uh, I would and, say you're a cool cat. That's a cool right. cat. Okay, thank you. Uh, in the last, uh, and by the way, uh, what John was referring to is the fact that we're doing this by Zoom. John's in his office. I'm in my office, and Jason Hood is in the studio. So we are not in the same room as we are usually, or were uh, uh, as a as a practice back before uh, COVID nineteen became dominant in our lives. You you mean, of course, Jason Kong. What, who did I say? So Jason Hood has a great ring to it. I must oh, say. did I say Jason Hood? You did. Well, you know, I don't know who to apologize to, so I'll, <laughs> let, I'll let that one go. Uh, the congressional districts in North Carolina obviously uh, have been reset, and that means that there is going to be, uh, by, if, if all falls true, at least a change in the makeup of the United States congressional delegation. Uh, right now it's 10-3 and uh, it, it's likely to change. So sort of go through that and and, and emphasize any uh, of the districts that you think may be more surprising than we had, had anticipated. Um, I think when we have congressional races, they're contested. I think the vast majority of them will be unsurprising. Uh, it isn't that the districts are gerrymandered in some horrible way anymore. They have been redrawn. I'm not saying they couldn't be fairer. They could be, I suppose. But this is really just because people have kind of gravitated towards the parts of the state that where their neighbors more or less share their views. Of course, there are hardcore conservative Republicans who live in downtown Durham, a few. I probably know all three of them. There are some uh, hard left progressives uh, who live in places like Cabarrus County and Johnston County. But for the most part, people have sorted themselves out intentionally or not. And so most of these congressional races, Don, are not competitive. Uh, they're very unlikely to change. I'll give you a couple of counterexamples, though. One of them is the 8th District, Congressional District. This stretches from, from Cabarrus County, from the outskirts of Charlotte, through the central part of the state to the outskirts of Fayetteville. Richard Hudson is the Republican incumbent, but this district's quite a bit different than it was before. He faces a spirited challenge from Patricia Timmons Goodson, who is a uh, former uh, justice on the court, Supreme Court. 
Um, and Timmons Goodson is a uh, is a well uh, well organized campaign. She's a good candidate. Uh, this district is more competitive than it used to be. That's some that's a district people are watching as a potential upset of the incumbent, who's Richard Hudson. Then in the 11th district out in the mountains, Madison Cawthorn is a Republican nominee. This is an open seat. Uh, he would be going into the seat that was that was held by Mark Meadows, now the chief of staff to, to President Trump. Cawthorn is young. Uh, he's inexperienced. There's some mistakes there. This is a Republican-leaning district, and Mo Davis, the Democratic candidate, is probably one of the better recruits, as you could imagine, as far as having a military background. But he's also an undisciplined and, and uh, untested candidate. I'm talking about the Democrat. He's also made some mistakes, including some rather uh, offensive comments online. So I don't think this is going to be as much of a potential upset place as the 8th district, but it is possible. There are Democrats who think they're going to win that 11th district with a strong turnout from the Democratic base. So um, what will, in your opinion, uh, assuming those two races, uh, continue on the track of their registration. Uh, so, what do you count now? Is it going to be eight and five, or no? It'll it'll be it'll be unchanged. It'll it'll well, it's not going to be unchanged. It's just that the the the, uh, the Democrats are sure to gain a couple of seats as the map was redrawn. One yep. of them in in Wake County area with uh, uh, oh goodness. Um, Senate candidate from two years ago, who is a longtime friend of mine, and for some reason, Deb, I'm, Deb, Deb I'm sorry, Deb, Deborah Ross. Yeah, uh, so she will win the congressional seat, the new one in the triangle. Uh, Kathy Manning will win a seat uh, in the western part of the state that had been Mark Walker's, but it's been redrawn. Walker is not in the picture, so the Democrats will pick up a couple of seats, but they are hoping they might be able to luck out and pick up one or two more. I don't think so. Uh, the uh, race that uh, Deborah Ross is involved in has been extremely quiet uh, because I guess that one is just so uh, democratic that there's, there's just not much of a point to uh, campaign a great deal. And Deborah Ross's campaign has been very, very quiet compared to the others in, in, in years past. That's right. I, I agree with that. So I think there will be five Democrats in that congressional delegation. Yeah. But there's well, a possibility of one or two more. Yeah. Uh, any uh, changes in the council state positions? Uh, uh, you know, we've got, uh, I guess, almost all incumbents are running except for Secretary of Labor and, and uh, public instruction. That's uh, correct. Do you think the incumbents are going to hold court? Um, that is hard to say. There are some incumbents who I do think face real challenges. One of them is the Labor Commissioner. Uh, Mike, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the labor commissioner race is open. I'm thinking of the insurance commissioner. That's Mike Causey. Um, he, he looks like a hero in many ways because he helped to uncover a corruption scandal involving campaigns for and actions by the Department of Insurance. But the former commissioner of insurance, Wayne Goodwin, who's also chair of the Democratic Party, North Carolina, he held the office before. He's, he's fairly well known. He's running a spirited campaign. That, that's a real dogfight. And then look at the attorney general's race. This is one of the more surprising events in state politics recently. People assumed, I think, because of significant fundraising advantages and other reasons that Josh Stein, the incumbent Democratic uh, attorney general, would be fine. But he faces a real challenge from a Republican candidate, Jim O'Neill, who's a district attorney in Forsyth County. Um, 
the polls show that race very close, very competitive. And I think Stein recognizes that it's competitive. He will outspend uh, the Republican, but that's a possibility of a flip. But look at a race like Steve Troxler for agriculture commissioner or Elaine Marshall, a Democrat for secretary of state. Th- those incumbents are safe. What about uh, the state treasurer's position? That's another very competitive race. Dale Falwell, the Republican, is, is facing a challenge from Ronnie Chatterjee, uh, the Democratic nominee, a professor at Duke. Uh, this is a race that it, it's interesting. There are some interest groups on either side of it. The State Employees Association of North Carolina um, usually assumes, you would assume that state employees would prefer Democrats over Republicans. That is often true, but it is not true. In this case, they're supporting Dale Falwell, the Republican, in part because he's done a lot of things to save money for the teachers and state employees health plan and and pension fund. Um, and Ronnie Chatterjee, though, has support from other groups traditionally associated with the Democrats. That's an area where uh, the Republican vote will certainly go for Dale Falwell, but he's also playing for some of those crossover votes. I think he might get them and be reelected, but it's another very competitive race, as is superintendent of public instruction, a race that until 2016 was always won by the Democrats. Mark Johnson won, but his tenure on in, in the job was sort of unsteady. He didn't run for re-election for that job. So the Republican candidate is Catherine Truitt, who used to work for Pat McCrory, used to be a classroom teacher, currently runs Western Governors University Online. So she's chancellor of the university. Jen Mangrum, the Democratic candidate, also a former teacher, currently a professor at UNC Greensboro. Uh, com- I think very competitive and very substantive race. Truitt, uh, and Mangrum have had some debates, they've had some exchanges, and they've been very substantive and, and actually, I think, very instructive of the big issues facing North Carolina education, the biggest one of which is how quickly can we get schools reopened? Another race that has been uh, relatively quiet, and part of it is because uh, uh, a lot of people have always assumed that it's a part of a, uh, of a slate, but the in North Carolina, the governor and the lieutenant governor are separate and not a part of a uh, a slate. Uh, how do you uh, view that race and how's that one likely to come out? Well, there are two, two things to remember about this race. First of all, both of the major party nominees are African-American, so there will be a black lieutenant governor in North Carolina. Uh, the second thing is there's an insider-outsider dynamic here. The Republican candidate, Mark Robinson, has never run for office before. As far as I know, he's never been really involved much in party politics before. He's a business owner. He sort of came to the fore with some passionate speeches on behalf of uh, the Bill of Rights and Second Amendment uh, in Greensboro and somehow got the Republican nomination through a kind of a viral campaign. So he's the outsider. And Yvonne uh, Holly is the insider. She's a multiple term state legislator. She comes from a family of political activists in, in Raleigh. Uh, so she's the Democratic nominee. She, re- she represents experience and knowledge about state government. And Mark Robinson's the insurgent outsider. The polls show this race is also statistical dead heat. Well, and, and of course, one of the things that's very difficult for all of these uh, down ballot candidates is the fact that uh, because uh, time on television or radio stations is limited and the uh, two uh, top races uh, for president and Senate are buying so much time that these candidates uh, not only have a difficult time raising money, uh, but also have a difficult time buying exposure. And, and of course, because they are relatively unknown compared to the others, that makes it even more difficult. Well, our, our guest is John Hood, and we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers. 
And we will do that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Yeah, we're back on Carolina Newsmakers, and of course, the topic that we're discussing is the upcoming election, because that's dominating the news, dominating the airways, dominating uh, social media, dominating uh, uh, a number of things. And uh, as we have said a number of times (laughs) during the last three or four months, times are certainly different. Our guest is John Hood, and we've asked John because he is a keen observer of politics in North Carolina. Um, and uh, he has uh, given us his views, and his uh, one of the questions we asked him along the way on the program was, what advice would you give to the two candidates for each of the races that we've discussed as far as the rest of the campaign? And that's been an interesting uh, uh, to listen to those comments. And if you'd like to hear those, if you are joining us late, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the two segments that uh, – you might have missed if you're listening to the stations that carry the half-hour version, or if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast, you can do that as well. So, John, welcome back again for this final segment. And um, as we sort of complete conclude this broadcast, I guess all elections are somewhat different. This one is clearly different. And uh, North Carolina being the purple state that it is, uh, everyone nationwide is watching the Tom Tillis, uh, Kyle Cunningham race. And of course, uh, uh, we've already commented on that one, but I guess nationwide, that's the focus that uh, uh, the nation will be looking at North Carolina. Um, so again, sort of give us uh, a summary of how you think that race is is uh, wrapping up. Well, <clears throat> uh, the, the fact that Tom Tillis got COVID and recovered quickly and the fact that Cal Cunningham had the, the news break about uh, cheating on his wife, uh, th- those have those were unforeseen events, I think. <laughs> they changed the race a, a little bit. They didn't change it a great deal because, as we've talked about throughout the show, most people are locked in. They were locked in months ago. But in the Senate race, there's still enough people who are probably weighing these matters and thinking about what they're going to do, wondering if they really ought to stray from their own party's base, their own party's list and go with somebody else. 
truly independent voters, and I don't mean people who are registered unaffiliated, that's a lot of people, including me, but I mean people who really have no party leanings, which is a very small number. It's not the whole independent group. It's a small subset of the independent group. They're probably still weighing, what's the most important thing to me? Do I think the biggest issue is President Trump has messed up uh, response to the coronavirus and we need a federal government that takes it seriously? If that's the case, they probably will associate Tillis with Trump on that issue, and they'll probably go with Cunningham. On the other hand, if voters are thinking about the economy, and many are, and how do we get the economy moving again, that's still an area where the Republicans in the polling have a bit of an advantage. And so if they figure either they're going to vote for Trump on the economy, they don't like him necessarily, they don't like his tweets, but they think he's best for the economy, they'll probably vote for Tillis as well. Then there'll be a third group of people who assume Biden is going to be president. And the question is, do you give him a U.S. senator that will help him carry out the Democratic agenda, in which case you go with Cunningham, or do you want to check Biden? You might think it's okay if Biden becomes president because you want to break from the Trump drama and all that, but you don't necessarily want the hard left, the Democrats, to run wild in Washington. And so you vote for Tillis as a check, as a, as a way to keep things more balanced and, and less out of control in the nation's capital. I think those three groups of undecided voters, there's still some in each of those categories and they matter a lot. And the campaigns know that and they're pitching to those voters right now, either explicitly in uh, flights of broadcast ads, as you've talked about, Don, or through mail and email and other things that are more under the radar and really targeted. Remember, that's a lot of where politics is going, is more targeted messaging, digital advertising, still the old fashioned mail. Lots of campaign consultants on both sides will tell you Uh, They think some of the best bang for their buck is sending a card, a piece of paper to people's mailboxes. They know exactly who they're sending it to. It's not going to be captured by a junk mail filter. Uh, People aren't going to miss it as they're scrolling through their phone. And because people get less junk mail in their mailbox than they used to, it kind of stands out. I got I went to my mailbox yesterday, Don, and I think I had two actual pieces of mail and I had five mailers from candidates. So that was all that was in my mailbox. And so I looked at the mailers. I mean, maybe I'm norm, maybe I'm weird, which is of course stipulated to be true. But I think a lot of people still look at a mailer, at least the front or back of a mailer. And that's where some of the money is going. By the way, I should say, we've been talking about these statewide races and the congressional races. Remember the legislature is also up for grabs <clears throat> in 2020. And some people who are involved in North Carolina politics and public policy would say control of the General Assembly is more important than who's a governor or who's the labor commissioner. <laughs> uh, and so that that control, which the Democrats are trying to take back from the Republicans after 10 years, is also up for grabs. The Democrats need only six seats in the House and five in the Senate to have outright majorities in those chambers. There are enough competitive seats where that could happen. The Republicans think they've got enough support in enough places to keep it from happening. But that's the thing, probably the unanswered question that I'll be most looking for hints about as we start to see election returns come in. What have we learned about early voting and mail-in ballots uh, that uh, uh, makes this election uh, of special interest? Well, we learned that lots of people are willing to vote by mail if they feel it's best, if they don't want to risk getting sick, if they 
don't want to worry about going to a crowded polling place and standing in a long line. So we have a lot, we have hundreds of thousands of people who voted by mail who've never done it before. So we've learned that people are willing to do that. And we've also learned that a small but maybe important percentage of those folks who've never done it before will mess their ballots up. Now, this is not a theory about elaborate voter fraud shenanigans or something. This is just people making mistakes failing to get their witness to sign the ballot, making other kinds of errors, maybe maybe sending it in too late. And so I'm a little worried we're going to have some people who intended to vote but messed their ballots up and weren't able to do that. Uh, but generally what we've learned from early voting in the past and what I think we may learn this time is there's a whole lot of attention on the mode of voting. And people think it matters that there's all these votes early. It probably doesn't. It prob- mo- the vast majority of people who vote early would have voted anyway. The vast majority of people who vote by mail would have voted early or voted in, on election day. So we probably make a bigger deal about these differing modes of voting than we should. I think it's fine. I think it's good that we have multiple choices of how to vote. I think that's fine. But I think sometimes we make it more of a fetish than a real indicator about what's going to happen in the election. So uh, do we anticipate a record vote in North Carolina? Um, I'm not convinced of that. I think we'll have a solid high turnout. I'm not sure it'll be historically high. I'm just not sure that's true. I don't see evidence for that yet, but it might be. Uh, If we were seeing that, I think we would see a stronger trend when it comes to voter registration than we've seen. So I I think we'll have a a high turnout, but not historically high turnout. Uh, Of course, on many of these matters, I was wrong in 2016. So I'm prepared to be wrong again. Well, you know, uh, and we've got a very short time to answer this question, but surveying and polling is far more difficult than it's ever been before. It is. It's challenging the getting the, the model right. This is not just about getting people to fill out your questionnaire or answer the phone. Modeling who's going to vote has become harder and harder, and that's why polls uh, are a little shakier than they used to be, in my view. Yep. Well, John, thank you again for being with us and giving us your observations on these important races. I'm sorry we didn't spend enough time perhaps talking about the North Carolina General Assembly, and and, uh, we will look forward to having you on after the election for your observations of how it turned out. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or the two segments that you might have missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Jason will have another guest for us again next week as we get closer to the election, and we're going to stay focused on, on those issues during this time. Till next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.